0: Good evening everyone and welcome to another Africa Asia podcast discussion. So it's been a while since we had a discussion and even been longer since we had a guest. So it's nice to be back and tonight I'm joined by Debo. He is a legal practitioner in Nigeria. He will introduce himself a bit more. So we'll be discussing about the Nigerian legal system and various issues around it. Uh, Debo, welcome, and you can introduce yourself. We get started.
1: Okay, good evening, everyone. Um, My name is Debo Haloko. Um, I'm a legal practitioner in Nigeria. I work mainly in the field of commercial litigation and arbitration. Um, I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Mukame, for inviting me.
0: Okay, okay. Uh, Thanks so much, Debo, for joining us. So the first point that uh, would be of interest to someone listening about a legal discussion is the legal system. Uh, What's the legal system like in Nigeria? And in this, for someone who is not a lawyer, uh, Debo will explain a bit more of how a legal system really looks like and what the Nigerian legal system looks like. Debo?
1: Okay. Um, The Nigerian legal system is based on the English common law system. Um, obviously because of our colonial heritage, you know. So, a, a, a lot of our legal principles are quite similar to a lot of things in England. But it's also important to bear in mind that Nigeria is a constitutional democracy, at least on paper. <laughs> so, um, what that means is that the constitution is the supreme law of the land. Um, every other law, right, is subordinate to the constitution, and any law that is inconsistent with the constitution, uh, is likely to be declared null and void yeah, to that extent. Um, so in view of this, in the hierarchy of laws in Nigeria, the constitution comes first. And then you have statutes passed by the National Assembly and the state Houses of assembly. And then you have common law principles, which are typically you know, based on English common law principles. the principles of equity. And then you also have customary law, uh, there are about 200 tribes in Nigeria, so you have principles of common, uh, of customary law across you know the so many tribes in Nigeria. Uh, so in a nutshell, that is what Nigeria's legal system looks like. Uh, because Muhammad asked me to explain what a legal system is. Uh, maybe I should take further to say that um, different countries have you know, different systems of laws, you know, broadly speaking. So uh, you have the civil law system. Uh, which obtains in most of Europe outside of the United Kingdom and uh, in the Republic of Ireland. Uh, and you'll find that in many countries across the world, due to their links to these um, European countries, uh, they might also adopt you know, legal systems which resemble those of their former colonial masters or uh, countries that they have historical ties with. So, for example, um, it is likely that a lot of countries in South America who operates, you know, a legal system which is very similar to that of Spain and Portugal. Uh, and then, you, you know, you find countries like South Africa being influenced by Roman-Dutch law. So, yeah, so it, 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 in a nutshell, you can describe a legal system as um, um, the system of laws, the system of... of the, the prudence that you're likely to find in a country, you know, where you interact with the judiciary or the justice delivery sector in that country. So, I mean, I hope that's a good enough answer.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it is. And uh, to also note, like, for Kenya, because we were also colonized by the British, so our system is pretty much what you said, almost word for word. Uh, you know, like, we have common law... Uh, doctrines of equity, cons- the constitution is the supreme law of the land. It's rule of law that applies. So it's it's very similar and uh, uh, being a common law system. Uh, and indeed, you find that most, uh, most countries will in- inherit the colonial past looked like, or maybe people who they have very close ties to. Uh, I think the point that I would like at some point maybe to discuss in the future would be about customary law. Uh, so, for Kenya, there has been a bit of progress on that uh, because uh, there they, they are customary laws that were there, especially when it came to things like marriage. Uh, it is more on the social side. So, there would be no like customary laws that regulate things like uh, criminal activity. So, that now uh, criminal activity is uh, regulated by a custom. Uh, it was mainly mm. on the social side of things, you know, like marriages, inheritance. Uh, those sorts of things were more on a customary side. And now what the constitution has moved towards is saying that uh, customary law will apply, but only to the extent the extent that it's not inconsistent with uh, the constitution or repugnant to justice. So, uh, so there are limits, although it's not defined what it is to be repugnant to justice or it's not defined for what it means to be unconstitutional. It's just that if someone like brought a challenge to a customary law and maybe it was uh, contrary to like the Bill of Rights under the Constitution, then that uh, customary law might be found to be unconstitutional. But I think we can have a, a discussion about that. Because someone has previously hinted in this podcast that they think that um, customary law should have a, an upper hand over the Constitution and these sort of things. Uh, I don't know Deb, what your thoughts are on that, uh, but also as you... Go to the next point, uh, possibly about the legal profession in Nigeria, uh, and like how 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 many people like compared to the Nigerian population are within like the legal profession, and how is the legal profession like in Nigeria? Okay,
1: um, do you want me to answer the question about um the customary law points you made? Yes, yes. Yeah. Should I just? Yes. yes Sorry.
0: Please. Yes, please. Okay. Yes, please.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I I think it's an interesting point. You know, if someone feels that, um, you know, customary leadership does trump, um, the, maybe common law system and all of that, and I understand where, um, someone who was that kind of view might be coming from. Um, you know, there's this idea that, um, the, 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 the profession and the judiciary in Nigeria, and indeed, you know, much of Africa, are colonial establishments. So, uh, whether in Kenya, but, Swana, Nigeria. Then, countries that inherited the British system, it almost feels like you are operating a foreign system, right? And before colonialism, so before the invasion of Lagos, before British rule was officially established in Nigeria in the eighteen sixties, uh, you know there was a system of laws applicable among the different communities in Nigeria. In fact, in the old Western region in the Oyo Empire they had their system of checks and balances. Even though you know, that region was governed by monarchs, I mean, the whole empire was governed by monarchs, they, they had a system of holding such monarchs to account. You know, they, they tried to prevent such monarchs from being authoritarians. So there are those who will argue that African law is not primitive, right? And if African law is not primitive, if we have a sensible way of regulating conduct in human society, even before the British came, Why should we continue to maintain a a colonial system that was handed down to us? But again, you have to also recognize that the society of today is a very different one from that of the 18th or 19th century. And a lot of the principles of law that the traditional institutions in Africa, in the African communities operated are unsuitable for today's purposes. Now, I know I might get into trouble for saying that, but, you know, I I struggle to think about how um, you could, for instance, apply customary law principles to certain kinds of transactions, you know, given that customary law in itself and in that stage, I mean, at that stage of our development, did not um anticipate those kind of transactions. Mm-hmm. So in essence, we are going to be asked to be formulating you know, entirely new principles of law, and in reality, that is what happens where um, the parliaments of the different African countries enact um, statutes. So apart from common law, right? In fact, in the hierarchy of laws, before you come to English common law, you probably statutes will probably take precedence in most um. Um, African common law jurisdictions. So where there's a clear provision of status on a particular point, then the principles of case law will have to bow us or succumb to that. You know, so to the extent that we now have a different kind of organization within society by which we enact laws to regulate our conduct, uh, I I one we struggle to see because our customary law is going to serve, you know, generally speaking. Again, given the fact that I don't know how it is in Kenya, but in Nigeria, uh, there's the idea of personal law, right? The law applicable to you as a person, right? So I, for example, except I probably enter into a marriage clearly under customary law, right? I cannot be governed by customary law. A marriage is also one of the indicators. There are several other indicators um, for deciding who somebody's personal law is, the purposes of private national law. So uh, the point I was trying to make with that is that a lot of people would rather not have their affairs governed by the principles of customary law, so that is another challenge that they are going to face with that. So, but I think it is sufficient that because law is dynamic, um, the different African countries have statutes, I mean, have um, parliaments that enact statutes, you know, progressively to regulate their conduct. So, for example, you know, in Nigeria, up until recently, the tax statutes were quite Old, but you realize that of late they've been revising the tax that, and I mean that, that's obviously because of the revenue drive of the of the government. You know, we were discussing before we officially started the podcast that the country is on the verge of bankruptcy, and so there's this crazy revenue drive right now, and they've been enacting you know um tax statutes you know, towards that end. So you, you find that parliament has been enacting tax statutes um, in recent times. progressively so there was a there was a finance act of 2019 i think or 2020 and there was another one in 2021 so to the extent that you have um lawmakers who are likely a responsibility to make sure that um our laws are not obsolete or that the, the past laws are up to date that can sensibly regulate human conduct i think that um the existence of customary law right will probably not um be popular enough be popular enough to lead to a a a demand by the majority of people you know for that system of laws you know to apply to their daily lives because at the end of the day in a democracy it is what the majority wants you know that counts so the majority prefer the current um setup you know where you have the constitution which also should be amended from time to time anyway you have the constitution you have um, federal in a country like nigeria that a federal system you have federal and state statutes and then you have principles of common law which we consider sensible enough you know you know to, to govern certain kinds of transactions where there are no clear statutes and then you you then have customary law for those who want to be bound by customary law right so yeah so i, I think at the end of the day i think it boils down to what the majority of the people want and what is um, sophisticated enough. You know, to govern conducts, you know, in different aspects of
0: life. Debo, I agree with uh, what you say, especially I think it's the perspective, not looking at it as if uh, common law or uh, laws that came through like the colonial system, as if what we're saying is that there are better laws than the customary laws. Possibly it's just that as, as times go, as uh, the nature of transactions change, as you move maybe from uh, to like the digital economy, you need laws to be updated. You know, like uh, new rules about data protection or rules about, you know, like taxing the digital economy. I think is as the world progresses, there's need to almost like uh, the, for the law to keep up with that system. And if you ask me, especially on like the digital side, the law is not able to keep up as it's right now because uh, there's a lot of innovations coming up. You know. Like, uh, just when you think you've had it, you hear there are different kinds of cryptocurrencies. For instance, you wonder how do you regulate it? Just when you think that you're regulating the banking sector, something else comes up. A new innovation of, you know, like trading forex online, and and things just keep, you know, like evolving and invo- evolving. So I think it's it's not that it's just that the laws have to keep up with also like the human innovation and the human needs. Of the society as you're dealing with right now, which may not be like what was needed, like in uh, maybe a several centuries back. Uh, but Debo, now turning on to the question about like the legal profession in Nigeria, if you could speak a bit about that.
1: Okay, um, the, the, the legal profession in Nigeria is roughly uh, somewhere between sixty to a hundred thousand lawyers, uh, on the average, there are about five thousand. Lawyers admitted to the bar every year, and then there are those funny years where you have like two sets of um, legal practitioners admitted to the bar. So you could have up to eight thousand to ten thousand lawyers being admitted to the bar in a given year. Um, ordinarily, in a country of two hundred million people, um, that's not too much, right? But in a country with an economy of our size, I think we have more lawyers than we need. You know, in Nigeria. So, yeah, like if you ask me, Nigeria doesn't have a shortage of layers at all. So, if Nigeria will ever become a prosperous country, <laughs> the legal profession will probably not be on the set of um, critical, the list of critical skills, you know, as usually you find in you know, those developed countries. So, yeah, we, we have quite a number of layers in Nigeria. And then we also have a system, we, we also maintain the silk system in Nigeria. You know, the we have the outer bar and the inner bar. Um, again, that is a colonial heritage. So, we, we, when the institution and I'm not quite sure when the first set of, you know, Queen's Council in Nigeria were admitted to the Inner Bar, but I know that before independence, we had Queen's Council like F.R Williams, uh, H. O. Davies, you know, practicing as you know Queen's Council at the Nigerian Bar, you know, even before independence. Um, Somewhere around 1963, after we became a republic, I know that they abolished um, the silk system and they they then reintroduced it in 1975, and because by now we had long gained our independence, at least we had been independent a republic for about 12 years or so, it wasn't called um, Queen's Council anymore, So so they decided to give it a new name and then they named it Senior Advocate of Nigeria, which is the equivalent of Queen's Council in England. In fact, for a very long time, um, Nigerian lawyers in England who took silk so in England were automatically admitted to the inner by Nigeria. So if you were a Nigerian lawyer practicing in the UK and you became a Queen's Council in the UK, that automatically qualified you to become a Senior Advocate of Nigeria. But I think, I'm not sure they still have that system in place. So that just lets you know the nexus you know, between the rank of the Senior Advocate of Nigeria and um, the Queen's Council in England. Uh, roughly, we have roughly about, we have roughly less than 800 Queen's Council, you know, and so it, it seems like an exclusive club. Uh, in fact, there are less than 50 female Senior Advocates of Nigeria. Although in recent times they've been admitting more women you know, than ever before. So we hope that there's a transformation in that area because i i feel like from my time at the nigerian law school there were roughly uh more women than men you know who were admitted to the nigerian bar even in my own set. uh so you know i i, I hope that the demographics actually begin to reflect you know, the proportion of women and you know, indeed excellent women practicing at the nigerian bar yeah
0: that's very interesting. I think to give a comment here about uh, Kenya, again, uh, this is very interesting for me because I'm an advocate in Kenya. So when I was admitted to the bar, so in Kenya you have to uh, you go through law school, um, uh, then you have to go to the school of law, then you have to do go through um, advocates training, then you're admitted to the bar of advocates. And when I was admitted to the bar, which was around 2015, 2014-15, they about, about, uh, I was admitted as number, I think, 10,000 and something, meaning that there were a total of, like, less than 11,000 uh, advocates, and th- that that number, I remember people making fun saying those included the deceased advocates, anyone who had ever been admitted as an advocate, and uh, their name remained on the bar, uh, we were less than 11,000. Of, of course, this is, like, eight years ago, so I'm sure, like, the numbers have increased, but uh, I think uh, the interesting thing that you said was that for the population, the number maybe is the number is enough. But for the size of the economy, I think that's why now you consider it. And I think if the economy is not supporting, then then I think that's an issue. I would say in Kenya that lawyers are still I think held in some good esteem uh, for the economy um, on the economic side. There'll be a lawyer like involved in almost every transaction. And I think because the economy is very vibrant, like it will be growing, there are new innovations happening, then I think there's always a bit of uh, quite some legal work happening. Uh, It may not be the most high-end type of legal work, but there's a bit of uh, activity in that that area, especially on the commercial side. And of course, like on the other side of like uh, the society, whether it's like uh, family issues to like... Uh, criminal issues, uh, all that. Uh, so, so it's quite interesting a comparison. Uh, and I think speaking about like the social side of the law, uh, Debo, if you could comment about the Nigerian people's perspective of the legal system as a way to get justice. How trusting are the people of that system? Uh, and this now speaks of like the lawyers, uh, like how are the lawyers regarded? The judiciary, the entire system, legal system, which I think also brings in, like, maybe the police when it comes to, like, the criminal matters where they have to be, like, uh, to be involved in the investigations. How, how comfortable or trusting are people that they can get justice through the legal system?
1: Mm, very good question. Um, in my own subjective assessments, um, I must put out there that. I'm only expressing an opinion I'll, I'll i'll rate it at six over ten on a scale of ten maybe six you know just above you know the average score of five over ten and um you know I, I feel like i'm even being generous in putting it at that because in recent times people have lost confidence a lot of people have lost confidence in the in, in the establishment of the judiciary uh most people don't trust the police in fact the police is regarded as a, as a criminal gang and uh, you know the the protest in 2020 you remember the ensas protest in 2020 which went global you know that that was an outcry by the nigerian people against injustice that was an outcry by you know the nigerian people both the poor and you know, the middle class uh, in fact, we, we, we saw a lot of middle class folks and the sprinkling of upper class folks eating the streets to complain about police madness in Nigeria. And so, you know, when, when you talk about criminal justice delivery, right, where the police plays a very critical role, you know, they, are, they are assigned the tasks of you know, maintaining another, investigating. Where you find that an establishment that is tasked with you know, such a critical role, is uh, irredeemably rotten because sometimes I, I wonder if you can even reform the police in Nigeria, given what I've experienced, given my own real life experiences in the course of work. Uh, like I said, I practice primarily in the field of commercial litigation. But once in a while, you know, you, are, you, you find that some of your clients will come to you because they've been investigated by the police or because uh, members of staff are been arrested by the police and you're asked, you know. To go represent them at the police station or at the economic and financial crimes commission. And you realize that in as much as, you know, you have statutes like the Administration of Criminal Justice Act, you realize that very little has changed in Nigeria. You know, the enactment of those statutes haven't made a significant difference in the way the police operates, in the way the law enforcement agencies operate. So, in a manner of speaking, you can literally buy your way out of any police situation except those ones that make it to the spotlight, right? So, you know the, the ones that receive coverage in the press and where they realize that all eyes are on them, they tend to behave themselves with respect to such high-profile cases. But generally speaking, I always pray never to have anything to do with the Nigerian police as a citizen, right? Even as a lawyer, I don't want to go to a police station. You know, it's it's I find myself... Um disgusted, I find myself feeling frustrated and helpless whenever I have to go and deal with those guys. So I mean and, and I'm a lawyer, how much more the average citizen out there? So, you know, if you take the police as an establishment that the public should trust with um the enforcement of law and order, with an objective and fair investigation of um, alleged offenses, I'm going to rate the police below five over ten. The police is a working establishment that, that is in need of urgent reform. Uh, so, you know, not to get carried away you know, with my emotions about the Nigerian police. You know, talking about the justice delivery sector as a whole. In recent times, people have lost confidence due to a number of factors. So first of all, you find that um, a number of the institutions that you have to interact with in this sector, you know, court registry staff, you know, the police, uh, even the judges themselves, you find that you know, standards are falling significantly. right? So there's, there's, there's a lot of emphasis on technical justice. I not put emphasis on technical justice, but when you read the law reports, the sense you get from reading you know, NWLA, which is the principal law reports in Nigeria, is that people, we're still at that phase in our legal history where people can escape liability if they're able to bring up a technical objection right and ultimately the merits of the case may not get determined because you spent about 10 to 15 years um prosecuting the preliminary objection on a technical point from the high court all the way to the supreme court and then back so people get frustrated by technical justice uh, people get frustrated by the delay in, in, in the um, civil procedure process you know, interlocutory appeals and whatnot, on the average, it takes about maybe three to five years for a case to get determined at the high courts, and that's even interlocutory appeals are not thrown in the way, right? Uh, and then in recent times, we are beginning to see this feeling of... Um, weakness in the judiciary right so unlike before when we had courageous judges in nigeria when the average nigerian judge was courageous you know the old days. some judges would prefer certain cases not to be assigned to their courts because they simply can't handle the pressure that comes with certain kinds of cases right uh, and then we also find that judges are not as sober as they used to be right so you find a situation where you know there was a very interesting case recently where a Nigerian lawyer got sentenced to prison for contempt of courts. And what had happened in that case was that um, there was a, I think there was a state governor involved in the case. But I mean I I'm not quite sure of the of the characters involved right now. But I know that um, there was an important political figure in, involved in the case, and. For some reason, this lawyer had asked, he had applied for the judge to accuse himself or herself, I think it was a female judge, from the case, and she refused to do so. Now, on during one of the proceedings, there was a journalist in court who was videotaping proceedings, and this judge asked the journalist to leave the courtroom. Uh, Subsequently, she then invited two armed policemen into the courtroom. Now, there's nothing wrong with having armed policemen in the court. Right? But I think those policemen were armed with ass rifles. So in Nigeria, we have policemen that we call mobile policemen. Who are usually like party-ready, uh, at riot kind of police, usually go about to AK-47s. Right? So she invited you know, those policemen into the courtroom. Now, this guy stands up and says that <laughs> He was not comfortable with the presence of such heavily armed police officers in court and applied for the judge to remove you know, those police officers from the court. And then the next thing that happened was that the judge wrote a ruling, right? In fact, according to the guy, he, he said he thought the judge was writing a ruling on his application for those heavily armed police officers to be removed from the courtroom. <laughs> but or not to him, what she was actually writing... <laughs> this permittal order you know to prison for contents (laughs) now apparently what what are that you know when you assess the situation the psychological factor cannot be dispensed with so the guy previously asked the judge to refuse herself from this case she refused to do so Uh, then she had taken an issue with the journalists videotaping the proceedings uh, and then he then makes this application for her to remove Armed policemen. That she herself had invited him to the courtroom in the first place, you know, from the courtroom, and so she got aggravated and sent and sent into prison, you know, without even giving him an opportunity, you know, to make any presentation. So in essence, his right to fair was denied, even if someone is in contempt of courts, right? I mean, there, there's contempt in the face of the courts. There's contempt ex Russia career. Uh, there's a procedure for dealing with content. right? And so that procedure was clearly not followed. So. You know, I remember how you know, even in the English text, you know, they used to say as sober as a judge, right? So you know, a, a judge is supposed to be sober, right? So you're supposed mm-hmm. to be calm. Otherwise, you're going to make significant mistakes if you allow your emotions or your um, prejudices to get in the way. While you are, and and I've seen I've seen good judges, you know, lose their position because of some of these issues, because. You know, there are certain lawyers who will fight you know to the very end to make sure that they they get some form of um, some form of respite when they get wronged by those kind of judges. So I've said all of this to see that we are at a point where critical institutions involved in justice delivery require reform. And I think the most powerful reform that needs to happen. First of all, the appointments process of people who are involved in justice delivery—be uh, it judges, magistrates, uh, uh, police officers—the the, the, the process in the police needs to be overhauled. We need things that entrench transparency and accountability, because I I struggle to see why a judge would take issues with a journalist, you know, video recording proceedings proceedings and courts with the exception of secret proceedings where there's a business to conduct proceedings in chambers, court proceedings are going to be public right? So I don't see any reason why a judge is going to have an issue or should have an issue with you know being recorded. and so you, you, you then realize that except there is you know the kind the, the right kind of orientation you know for those who occupy some of these very delicate positions, especially judicial office. Except the assistance that entrench accountability and transparency right we are going to keep complaining about this in the very same issues you know year in year out and so for you know coupled with all these factors i mean when you take this factor the fact that um even judges are struggling with accountability and transparency right I mean, I go to some courtrooms and they tell you to switch off your phone, not because your phone might ring and disrupt the proceedings, right? In, in that event, you tell to silence their mobile phones. But they tell you to switch it off altogether, and then they, they then send their police authorities to go around and make sure that your phones are actually switched off, rather than silenced, to make sure you don't disrupt the proceedings. In fact, there's a particular judge at the National Industrial Courts, right, who would tell lawyers when they come in to switch off all electronic devices. So you can't use your laptop while in court you can't use your ipad or your tablets while in court and I, I strongly believe that this judge is not particularly concerned that those devices might make noise you know, while the court is sitting i feel like it's more of a situation where you're trying to avoid being recorded and maybe in future challenging the court's record with your own records you know so we have a, we have a situation where even the sheriff's are struggling with accountability and transparency uh, coupled with the fact that uh, there, there, there are also delays, we, have, um, we don't have enough judges. Uh, we, on the average, you have one judge dealing with up to 20, 30 cases in a day. So they're inundated with all these cases, delays at the Court of appeal. I have appeals at the Court of appeal in the legal division where we are still struggling to get a hearing date for pending applications after like two, two years of filing the appeals. So, you know, we have all these issues. And as a result, the the average man out there who understands all these issues knows that um, the Nigerian court system is not the best way to get justice. Right. And the danger with that, as you know, you know, being a lawyer too, is that when people feel that if I come to Kenya and I get assaulted by the police, I can't go to the courts. Uh, If I come to business in Kenya and, there's something, uh, something goes on with the investments. and I can't get justice in the Kenyan courts within six to nine months, right? If you're not careful, people begin to think of other ideas, right? Taking the law into their own hands, which is very dangerous for any society. I mean, the the whole essence of law is to regulate human conduct and to make sure that there's a procedure by which people hear their grievances. And so if people don't have confidence in this procedure by which grievances are supposed to be addressed, it then begin to devise alternative means, right? Because you've lost confidence in the police, you've lost confidence in, in the judiciary, and then you you begin to think of other means which are not quite palatable and which can lead to a breakdown in law and order. So I feel like you know these issues need to be addressed, you know, not just in Nigeria, because I've read very funny stories about other African countries as well. That we need to understand that you know it's not just formality, you know, <laughs> as some people like to think. There's the, a the reason why these rules and principles of law exist you know, to regulate human conduct and to make sure that society does not break down. So yeah, they're not sure that's the state of legal profession in Nigeria.
0: Okay, that's that's a very good summary of it. Very interesting what you say, and there are some very uh, similar things that happen in Nigeria as to Kenya. You know, especially like the police force. You know, it even got me thinking that. Um, You see, unlike the legal profession where you're taught uh, like the professional ethics uh, and where you're taught, you know, like there's a way a lawyer should conduct themselves, there's a way an advocate of the high court should conduct themselves, you know, you're held in high standards. I think uh, all the all, everyone within like the legal justice system, including the police officers, including like everyone who might be involved in that process, it, they must be, you know, like trained to understand what. Uh, what you're saying that uh, it's to regulate human conduct. One, it's not to terrorize them or, you know, to stamp your authority on them because uh, being someone who enforces the law, you come with authority, Uh, meaning that, you know, like as a judge who can, you know, like send you to prison, a police officer comes with authority, they can lock you up. So I think it's also to know that abuse of power is also something that, you know, it should be regulated, which... Even the law, even lawyers, there's there's abuse of power by lawyers, you know, like from taking clients' money to you know misadvising them, and there's no recourse for them, uh, for 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 anyone who suffers that. But it's quite interesting. But I think it's it's just uh, the justice system very similar uh, between what happens in Nigeria and Kenya. Even I personally uh, dread any thought of going to a police station, even for the simplest of things. Even, in fact, when a police officer stops me in traffic uh, and they're just maybe looking at, uh, like, in Kenya, you must display your insurance, your insurance for your car clearly on the the windscreen. Even when they stop to look at that, you panic because you're like, I, I may just, you know, at this point end up at the police station for some reason because one of my tires seems a bit old. But it's it's that kind of uh, terror you feel when you see a police officer, Debo. I think we can wind up the discussion if you could uh, share any final thoughts and any, you know, like proposed way forward, especially on issues of like building back the distrust that exists. Um. Yeah, with the legal system.
1: Okay. Well, I mean, my 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 final thoughts would just be to so reiterate that there's a very urgent need for reform. You know um Across the different institutions, not afford to have a society where people have these mindsets, and you not know, for justifiable reasons that you know the courts are not the right um, avenue, you know, for you to hear your grievances. People need to know that when their rights are violated or when they have a grievance, they can approach the courts, and that they will get justice, not justice on paper, right? Not textbook justice, where you simply just get a judgment that you cannot enforce against the authorities, they they, they, they need to be confident that when they have a judgment, you know, from the high court or whatever other courts, that judgment carries a lot of weight and authority and that um, they are going to be satisfied, you know, that justice has indeed been done. And, you know, very... um, instructive is also the fact that um, the, the process that, that it takes to eventually get to that point where you are handed down judgments shouldn't take 5 to 10 years. You know, People do also need to know that I don't have to spend 5 to 10 years to have my day in court. So for the judge to tell me that, okay, yes, I was right, I've been, I've been vindicated, that process shouldn't take 10 years. right? And So there's a need to ensure that um, institutions of the state, you know, the courts, um, the police, you know, the different law enforcement agencies, the specialized law enforcement agencies like um, the Economics and Financial Crimes Commission, and all those kind of agencies are reformed to understand the need to abide by um, procedural rules contained in the Administration of Criminal Justice Act, um, and you know, the government has to do more to provide the facilities to ensure compliance. You know. With such statutes so for example things like providing video um, equipment to make sure that statements are taken on camera and the like so you know we just need to understand that you know without rules society breaks down and it's extremely important to entrench the rule of law such that um, nobody feels that um, the the best way to get justice is on the streets or by engaging an assassin or something you know the, the method of it is very terrifying where people know that in order to settle scores, they have to go to the underworld because they, they feel the courts are useless, and then the judges also need to understand the critical role that they play in society. There is that principle that judges are judges are not to be had, right? But I feel like um, in this part of the world, we may have carried that principle too far, where they say judges are not to be hard. What it means is that the judge, for example, cannot go on on TV, you know, to to grant interviews about the cases before him, right? Uh, you cannot make comments to the press about the cases you're handling, or, or just generally appear on the press, I mean, on, on TV to discuss issues, right? But in terms of ensuring that um, the institution of the judiciary is preserved as a powerful institution that you know, regulates or acts as a check, you know, when we talk about suppression of powers, the role of the judiciary in acting as a check on executive recklessness. Uh, and um even legislative uh, conduct, that role is extremely important and you know the judicial officers, especially the chief judges of the various states, um the chief justices of Nigeria, and then the different judicial institutes, have a role to play to ensure that judgments of courts are treated are treated with sanctity. you know there has to be a measure in place to ensure that the government does' not violate court orders and judgments. So the, and, you know, when, when the judgment of the court, for example, gets disobeyed, it is not the particular judge in question alone that should take it upon himself you know, to ensure that um, something is done about that. When, when, when the judgment of the court gets disobeyed, it's an affront to the entire institution of the, of the judiciary, and it should be treated as such. So you know, we need to start having these critical conversations about society. The judges don't understand the role that they play in society. They cannot simply sit back and say, when they hand down a judgment, if the government complies, with it's fine. If they don't, well, they're powerless. Their hands are tight. They can't do anything. A lot needs to be done to ensure that Nigeria does not um, go the way of Somalia. And the only way we can ensure that is to make sure that um, laws are upheld and enforced, and that um, people have confidence in the institutions that have been created by law to ensure that um, justice is served. So yeah, I think those are my thoughts. These are my final
0: thoughts. Okay, thanks a lot, Debo. This has been a very interesting discussion, a lot of things to think about. Uh, I hope our listeners, uh, once you get round to listening to this, you have some questions or some thoughts that you'd like to share. Uh, you can leave them on our social media pages, uh, Africa, Asia. But for tonight, goodbye from us and uh, we we'll look forward to having another discussion with Debo a bit more on some of the things that have been uh, that have come up in this discussion. For now, it's goodbye from us.